You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, this is Sandy Breaker. This is Cami Doder. And this is the Earn and Invest podcast. I hate to take advice. In fact, in the big things in life, I often have to fall on my face first. Book writing is a great example. I spent years writing blogs and self-publishing. My dream was to eventually write a book proposal and get a book deal. But I had to fail a bunch of times before I sought expert help in the form of friends and successful authors who could guide me in finding an agent and the book proposal process. I've done this in many other spheres of my life, investing included. I got sucked into the tech bubble in the early 2000s and eventually hired a financial advisor. This time, however, I tried to release the reins and let someone else do all the work. And generally, it turned out okay, and yet I eventually felt like I was paying a premium for advice that I no longer needed. Financial advice, for me, has gone like that. I toggle between seeking it actively and spurning it depending on the season of my life. Do we need financial advisors? to invest, to estate plan, to risk mitigate? How much can we do ourselves and when do we need the experts? Today, we'll try to answer these questions. Sandy Brager learned about the financial planning profession in college, and after starting her career in accounting, she had the pleasure of working in the wealth management profession. For over 20 years, Sandy has been fueled by a passion to help people make good, meaningful financial decisions and to see the impact of those choices on their lives. Cami Doder is a marketer at heart, working in a client-centric fiduciary-focused firm, which means she's a listener, educator, and advocate first and foremost. She's passionate about empowering current and future clients by helping them navigate the murky waters of the industry to make informed decisions about their financial lives. They're both the hosts of the Money Tales podcast. Sandy and Cami, welcome to Earn and Invest. Sandy, Let's start with you. Why are we so bad about talking about money with family and friends and the people we know? Hi, Jordan. It's great to be here with you and the listeners and Cami as well. Money is a tricky topic in our society. We are taught not to talk about it. We have all sorts of influences in our lives, the media in particular, that form generalizations about money. We should have more of it. We should be spending more of it. It gets really confusing for people. And in addition to that, I would say that money can be very emotional for us. A lot of that emotion is formed when we're young based on what we're told about money or what we observe about money from our parents or the other adults and family members around us. So I think of all of those factor into making it difficult for many people to have money conversations But these conversations can be magical and they can really transform a person's life. So Cammie and I and and everyone at our firm, Asperian, are focused on having really meaningful, productive money conversations with our clients day in and day out. And we think everyone should be doing that in their lives too. 
Sandy, one of the things that seems to get in the way of these conversations is fear, right? I mean, there's a lot of fear passed on, especially through generations about money and the role it plays in our lives. That's right. There's fear. Sometimes there can be judgment in our families. There can be a scarcity mindset, which is, I think, related to, to fear that there's just not enough. Some families have the opposite problem. Some families have the challenge of abundance and in thinking that there's always going to be money available. And so they don't really focus on managing it or, or, or making sure that it's there to cover their needs and they can run out. So there's a wide range of, of emotions, Jordan. I think another one that comes up is shame are shameful because either they have too much or they don't have enough. So understanding what our emotions are around money is really important. In money conversations, those emotions often bubble up. And I think it's really interesting to talk to other people, especially those that are most important to you and that you trust the most about those emotions to to sort of check in. How are how are my emotions about money different from yours? And, and what does that mean? And, and how do we each get here? Yeah, I mean, I want to focus on this idea a little bit of shame, but maybe in a different way. One of the things that we have shame about when it comes to money is this idea that we might get taken advantage of. And I want to relate that to the financial advice industry in general. In your introduction, I talked about the murky waters of marketing with the financial advice business. Talk to me about how people perceive financial advisors out in society. I think the challenge is that there's a lot of different flavors out there and understanding what the offering is, what the financial incentives are, how people get compensated. That's where it gets murky. And that's where we challenge people's trust. If they don't understand, right, the the revenue model, how does how does this person get paid? And for a long time, it most were in in more of a brokerage type situation where someone's selling a, a product, right? So they're selling a product. That's the compensation. And the the industry's changed a lot. So experience one of you know thousands of registered investment advisors. They're called RIAs. And in this newer model, and and you know, a lot of firms are out there doing this, really the compensation is for a service, not a sale. So we're here serving our clients. But but again, there's such a long history of transactional. And so as a result, when it's just a transaction, you don't think this person's really caring about what I need. They're caring about what is the revenue. Right, we've got a new product. I've got a new X. I want to sell X, and I'm going to make certain amount of money. And so that is has fueled a lot of confusion. So I think the more we spend time explaining, you know, how do we how do we make our money? How do we get compensated? Really transparently, as business owners, you know, we at Experian think about this a lot. Like, how do we try and take out? conflicts of interest. So clients feel really that we're on their side of the table. Now there's always, you can make an argument, there's always some sort of conflict, but our, what we do every day is try and think, how do we remove as much if, you know, if we'd love to eliminate everything, right? But that's the idea, like removing conflicts of interest, have transparency and for the the consumer, them understanding what's the model. And some prefer to be sold. Some do want to sit in that decision seat and be told, 
you know, here's here's the the newest investment opportunity. You interested? Some will love that. For our clients, they want to spend their time doing other things, running businesses, being with their family. They want to be smart. So our job is to educate. Our our job is to present opportunities, you know, and really manage their investments and their lives that's in support of their goals. And Kimmy, I want to build on what you're saying about the history of advice, because I think that's really important. Um, There are three deep thinkers in the wealth space who have written about a concept called Wealth 3.0, and I wanted to summarize it. And the thinkers are Jim Grubman, Dennis Jaffe, and Kristen Keffler. So from their perspective, Wealth 1.0 was very much the transactional exchange that Cammie was talking about. Historically, there was a broker, and it was a very male-dominated approach. Then in the 80s, when financial planning came about, Wealth 2.0 came into place. And from the perspective of Wealth 2.0, a lot of the selling was coming from a perspective selling of services was coming from the perspective of scaring people. You need advice because if you don't get this advice, you're going to run out of money. You're not, you know, all these bad things are going to happen. Whereas the the profession, the wealth, the wealth advising profession is moving more into wealth 3.0, which is really a holistic view of how can we use the client's strengths and who they are as individuals, and if they're in a, a relationship or in a family, their connections and relationships with their family, how can we help serve them to achieve all that they want to achieve using strengths that they have and fortifying those strengths and adding to them? You know, it, it's an interesting transition. We've seen a similar transition, I think, in medicine, too. They talk about mm-hmm. health 2.0 and health 3.0 and this idea of a much more patient-centered version of the doctor-patient relationship. Part of the issue with that, and I think something that patients don't see in the doctor-patient relationship, is how gratifying that health 3.0 view can be. Cammie, talk to me a little bit about what's gratifying about giving financial advice or marketing financial advice out to the masses. Because I think a lot of people, when they're suspicious of financial advice, part of it is that they don't realize what the motivation is on the other side. Jordan, the aha moment when when someone really sees the value and really sees their their life on screen, sometimes we're projecting what we're hearing, what they've told us our priorities. Some are financial and then some are just their their passions, their kids, their their business, whatever it might be. When they see the connection to their dollars and their values and their goals, and then, you know, sort of a clarity, we talk about creating peace of mind for our clients. When we see that in their eyes, that is the most rewarding experience. And for the client, obviously, it's really rewarding. It's this, you know, the shoulders, you see them relax. There's a big, deep breath that happens. So I find that when we get through that initial process and and sometimes it happens during the the onboarding conversation even the intro conversations when they start connecting the dots that it's it's not just you know acronyms and the spreadsheets it's really emotional that the, that absolutely the technical side super important sandy has a great way of representing it 
but the emotional side and what the money's for and how it connects to their life, it's it could be freeing. It can be just a really, I'm going to say it again, the aha moment. So it it's really special when we get to that point with our clients. And I I love it. I love when I'm talking to a future client, you know, they sometimes come in with these this, this, these fears, the, the words that we talked about, you know, that there'd be, they'd be judged, that they're not organized, you know, whatever the judgment might be. And we get to start having the conversation. And it's like, it's not our place to judge. It's our place to support you in what you're trying to accomplish. Sandy, as Cammie talks about those aha moments, it makes me think again about the dichotomy of mindset versus tactical knowledge. When people come to you, how much of it is really just dealing with that mindset switch versus telling them specifically what and where to put their money? I'd say 80-20. I think the mindset or what I call the emotional side of money is, is the biggest factor. And it's so important. And I think it's missing in a lot of financial advisory relationships. And that's why people get frustrated and can go away from their advisors. So where we start with a new client is really understanding who they are, who they are as a person. Again, if they're in a committed relationship with each other, who they are as a couple, if we're working with a family, who are the individual family members? How do they interact together? What's the family dynamic? What's most important to each of them? What are their values? Values are so important. I could give you advice all day long, but if that advice is not consistent with what is most important to you, what you value most, that advice is useless to you. You're you're not going to follow it. <laughs> it would just be a waste. We also want to understand what the client's goals are. What are the priority of those goals? And what would they be willing to sacrifice if they needed to, to achieve those goals? So all of all of this is so important, Jordan, and it lays the groundwork for the technical side. And it's really interesting as I reflect on my career going through the CFP process initially becoming a certified financial planner, there's so much focus on the technical and that is starting to change, which is great, but there's so much focus on the technical and I thought, well that was my job. I just have to understand how IRAs work. I have to understand the tax code and how it applies. And, and I have to understand estate planning. And I do. I have to understand all of that. But again, I need the context to be a good advisor, to be an exceptional advisor. I need the context in which we're applying these things to the client. And each person, each couple, each family is so different. We really need to figure out how to apply this technical to, to the clients that we're working with. And Sandy, it's also very true, right? The technical changes, right? The laws change, legislation changes, the technical is continually evolving. However, the mindset tends not to. It can though. So we do spend time with clients talking about growth mindset. We think it's really important to bring awareness to that and help clients understand that they can grow over time. And I'll share a client's story just to bring this to life. Work with a client who, when she came to us, was in the middle of a, a major divorce, she was in a relationship where her husband had created a lot of wealth before the marriage, and she was used to spending a lot of money for the family each year without even thinking about it. The marriage ultimately unraveled. They got divorced. There was a prenup in place. She walked away from the marriage with significantly less resources. That was a forced mindset change. She could not mm -hmm. continue to spend at the rate in which she was spending before. And that's super hard to do. And so as 
her trusted advisor, my colleagues and I helped her understand the transition, not only the technical aspects of, hey, you were spending this amount, this is what you can afford to spend now, but really like how how are we going to help you ramp down and feel good about yourself and feel good about your spending and make good money decisions and setting the expectation that this is not easy. You're going to stumble and fall. So let's create a guide path down. So you're not just going from up here to down here overnight. Like Let's build a guide, you know, a, a pathway to get you there. So that was a situation where, you know, again, obvious of, of helping a client change their mindset and evolve over time. And I'm delighted to say that now, five years after the divorce, she is thriving. She's generating her own income. She's created a business. She has a really great control over her, over her personal finances, including understanding the extent of her personal finances, how investments work, what taxes mean. You know, she, she just didn't have exposure to any of this before. And she was a, a brilliant person. You know, she 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 was able to learn it right away. But again, we didn't have to get there overnight. We we held her hand along the way and created a path that was comfortable for her. So, Cammie, I want to ask the question, what percentage of the population needs financial advice? But I'm going to turn it on its side a little bit and change the question to what are the cardinal signs that you as a person could really benefit from a financial advisor? So it's, I think you started with advice and I think you admitted <laughs> you 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 don't like receiving advice. It's such an interesting concept. I I think everyone benefits from advice and financial advice in particular. And you know we we've used this in the past. So you can't do dentistry on yourself, right? Like you can be a great dentist, but you need someone else who comes in. So even the most advanced financial professionals benefit from financial advice. Because there's an emotional element that when you're dealing with your own is really hard to turn off, really, really hard. Of course, there's so much is the you know the information and like you said, laws change and investment opportunities change. So there's the day in and day out learning that wealth managers do to be able to serve clients. But there's also we were we're talking so much about the the maybe even the right brain approach, you know, like coming in and really understanding what's driving this person and asking the questions that sometimes we don't even want to ask ourselves. But being willing as an advisor and 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 being adept at at getting below the surface response to be able to answer the questions. So going back to advice, I'm also a fan of coaching. I think it's the same concept. I think it's we can get to a certain level, and but to get to the next level, you need coaches. So advice is along the same way. You you can do so much for yourself, but then if you really want to be, you know, taking being a good steward of your wealth, being really being really uh, attuned to your values, having an advisor is really really important. But this can sound, of course. I believe this, <laughs> right? I work for a firm that gives advice. So that can sound maybe disingenuous. I just really believe in it though, wholeheartedly. Where when you're trying to be a good steward of whatever it might be, you know, having coaches, having advisors, and having people around you that help you get there is really, really important in my in my opinion. Most clients tend to reach out to us and we're introduced into their lives when there's a change in their life. 
There's some life event happening, a new job, a liquidity event, a death in the family, a marriage, a divorce, whatever the case might be. I think those situations lend themselves to financial advice. Although that word sounds sort of flat and listening to you respond, Cammie, I'm thinking that it's more like financial partnership. Because it's not, you know, it's a little bit different than most doctor experiences, right? You go to a doctor, you say what's wrong, and they, you know, they 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 try to fix fix whatever the the ailment is. We're again understanding who the, who these people are, what's most important to them. We're we're forging relationships with them, and we're helping guide them toward making decisions that are most important to them. And it is the client's decisions at the end of the day. So it's not like we're just giving advice and letting them decide whether to take it or not. You know, if if we're recommending something to a client that doesn't feel comfortable to them, we go back to the drawing board with them. Well, you know, why, what's not feeling comfortable? What's another way forward here that, that feels better that's going to achieve what you want to achieve? Sandy, I imagine that you get a number of people who eventually come in for advice who've been doing it themselves for many years. So what types of things do do-it-yourselfers miss or what types of things do they, what cognitive errors do they sometimes make that you guys see on a regular basis? Yeah. So I I think for people who really like doing it themselves, working with an advisor can be a difficult transition in and of of itself. Because they're used to calling all the shots, they're used to collecting information, doing research, and it can be really difficult to give up that control. So that that does take some time. But what I've noticed is sometimes folks who've been doing it themselves make a lot of mistakes and they learn from those mistakes, just like you were saying at the outset of this conversation, Jordan. That's a beautiful thing when you can learn from your mistakes. But some financial mistakes can be extremely costly. And so, you know, they tri- people have tripped all over tax rules, especially as it relates to retirement accounts, or they, you know, put their estate plan together and never executed it, or they never changed the title of their accounts or changed the beneficiaries on their retirement plans because they just didn't know all of the different things that needed to happen. So so it tends to be that folks miss things or they don't have the deep technical knowledge that they need to address the situation. Also, when people are doing it themselves, they can sometimes struggle with emotions that come up, especially in times of crisis, right? It's hard to be objective about your own money. It's really hard. I'm a financial expert. I have hard times (laughs) deciding, oh, wait, should I buy this bank stock that's down 70% and take advantage of it? Or should I just keep my money? Because that's the safe thing. We all we all struggle with that. And that's where I think advisors can really prove our value is being that objective sounding board who can provide recommendations and guidance based on what we know about the client. We are talking to Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, and we are discussing financial advice. Do you need it or not? We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? 
Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed, but we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking to Sandy Brager, who learned about the financial planning profession in college. And after starting her career in accounting, she had the pleasure of working in the wealth management profession. Cami Doder is a marketer at heart, working in a client-centric fiduciary-focused firm, which means she's a listener, educator, and advocate first and foremost. Cami, let's talk about this idea of finding the right financial advice. What makes a good financial advisor? What makes a good financial firm? Mm. Really, really important question, Jordan. To me, it's how they make you feel. And when I say that, you should feel smart. You should feel that they understand you, that when you ask a question, the the response is something that is clear. And if it's not clear, they make you feel really confident and comfortable asking follow-up questions until you do understand. And all that are elements of trust. 
you build they're building trust, right? You you need to be able to trust these people. But trust is a is a vague concept. But I think in your heart you understand what's going on. So we we talked to a guest on the Money Tales podcast and I really appreciated her when she was gaining financial literacy. Her comment was, you, you know, it's awkward to say you don't understand something. And there is something in financial the we talk a lot about this, like, why is it in the financial realm, we feel we need to know everything and be able to do everything. There's, It's just really a funny concept. And nowhere else do we think we need to do everything and know everything. But this recommendation from the guest was that as she was becoming financially, you know, learning more through through different mediums, podcasting was one, you know, however, however you find the, the way to do it. But when she was talking to financial experts, just the, her recommendation was ask questions. And that's so important. And it sounds really dumb. But when you're looking at your advisor, ask your burning questions and how they respond. If there's a lot of acronyms or industry speak and it doesn't work for you, one, ask questions back. What does that mean? But if there's too much of it, then maybe that's not the right fit. Sandy, how important is it how an advisor gets paid? Because I feel like we get caught up on that often. And I think even a lot of people choose who they want their advisor to be based on how they get paid. Is that of great importance? I think it is of importance. You should understand how the person you're working with is getting paid because it just helps, I think, you feel better about the advice you're getting and where it's coming from. There are a lot of people in, in this country who need financial advice and can't afford to pay for it. So paying for it by way of commissions that are paid on a product that they're buying it is really important to those folks, but they just under, need to understand that that's how their, their advisor is getting paid. I think it's also important as you move up the wealth spectrum to make sure that the advisor compensation is in alignment with your interests. Because if the advisor is getting paid to push you in a certain direction, that's not necessarily the direction you'd want to go in, and you're not aware of how they're being compensated, I think that's a problem. We, we like to look for full alignment. And I don't think there's any any issue or problems with ask, asking people how, how they get compensated and why. That's a, an important money conversation. Tammy, Sandy just used the word alignment. And whenever I hear alignment and financial industry, I think of that big word fiduciary. Talk to me about what a fiduciary is. And more importantly, you know, when I talk about it, I kind of use the terms necessary, but not sufficient. Kind of elucidate what a fiduciary is and, and how important that is. I agree with you. Fiduciary says that 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 your interests are put ahead of the person, the firm. So the client's interests are put ahead of anything that we're doing. And that is really, really important. But to your point, it's you, you need to understand more. But from a from a baseline, we really believe that orientation is is really critical because then your your the the service model is what is the need of the client? How do we serve those needs? And not about, you know, we've got to achieve a certain profit margin or revenue goal. You know, of course you have to, you got to run a business, 
but the client's interests are put first when making recommendations and any service model or service that we offer. And I'll add, Jordan, I think being a fiduciary is really important. I wish there were more people that were held to the fiduciary standards, not only in the financial services space, but in all aspects of life. Could you imagine if our politicians were held to a fiduciary (laughs) standard? I mean, that would be powerful. So I, I take it as a great honor. And I think one of the most important aspects of being a fiduciary for clients is being aware of conflicts of interest and highlighting those conflicts of interest when they occur. And they occur all the time. The most common would be when a client's purchasing a home. How should they finance that home? Are they going to pay all cash? Are they going to take a mortgage? Well, geez, if they take a mortgage, then we can continue to manage all of the assets that we're currently managing. But if they paid all cash, they don't have cash sitting around. So we'd have to sell some investments that would reduce our our income. What do we do? So we will couch the advice to clients, recognizing that conflict. We think that's really important for the client to understand. And the advice is going to be based on what's most important to the client and what makes most sense for them. So it's going to take into consideration all of their personal situations in addition to the current lending environment. And you know what, what's the interest on that loan? It's a lot different today than it was a few years ago, that's for sure. So Cammie, besides giving Sandy a call, there are a lot of people out there who may be getting to that point where they're like, yes, I need more financial advice. I'm trying to do it on my own and and I'm hitting a wall. How do you go about finding a good financial advisor? What are some good resources? Yeah, there's sources like, and Sandy can even help me out here. The FPAs, I think has a way of financial planning association. You can, you can search for firms that offer independent advice. There are different lists. You know, if you want to find one in your area, you can start there. That's what we really, we find people, that's how they can find Experian. They start a, you know, hey, I want a financial advisor in wherever, whatever city they're in. Um, funny enough, even though we're in a virtual world, people do like knowing their advisor. There's an office nearby. It's We still see that. They may never come in. They might continue to take virtual appointments, but there's some comfort knowing they're nearby. And then it's, it's researching how do, you know, how do these people, how do these firms, have they been around a long time? There are some, if you want to get really deep and technical, we firms like ours file an ADV, what's called with the SEC, where we have to put information, explain how, again, the company is run, who's the leadership, how do we, what are the fees, things like that. So there's tools to dig depending on the level of depth you want to understand firms. That's that's a great tool to to dive in a little bit deeper. Sandy, are there warning signs? I mean, if we're out there looking for advisor, are there some things that should be kind of flashing red lights, stay away? There are. I think the ADV is a great place to to look if there's any sort of, you know, if the advisor is tripped on any sort of regulatory matters or legal matters, that's going to be covered in the ADV. But Jordan, what I tell folks is pay a lot of attention to what's happening in that first meeting with your potential new advisor. Are you asking all the questions and they're responding? Are they just talking at you? Are they asking you questions and thoughtfully and deeply listening to what you have to say? To me, that's the key. 
I would want an advisor who's listening to me. There's so few opportunities we have in our life to be listened to. To start a trusting relationship with an advisor, I would want to make sure that they were listening to what I had to say and learning about me before they started to share about themselves and show me all the great things that they've done and can do for me. Tammy, how important is the firm versus the advisor? Because I've had a number of advisors in my past, and I have to admit, I often focus on the advisor more than the firm. In fact, I've had advisors who moved from one firm to another while I stayed with them. How big a role does the actual firm play versus the philosophy of the advisor themselves? Mm, It depends. It depends. And this is an important question. At Experian, we really work hard. We have a saying, clients are clients of the firm. We want to bring our collective wisdom to the client that we serve. So we do a lot of things to to enable this. But one way we don't have siloed, people don't have just, you know, Sandy works with one other wealth manager and they only serve clients and they they bring their best thinking. There's, we do, we have meetings. We have, we're really intentional about this. But back to your question, it's, it's so important when people think about are they hiring Cami or are they hiring Asperian? Because Cami can move. And maybe I moved to a firm that the advisor doesn't like. So we, we do, we really think it's important for people to understand how the firm, know the firm, even develop relationships beyond their wealth management team. However, your team is your day in and day out. So kind of going back to, you got to like them so that there's there's both. And understanding how the firm attracts and retains their talent, you know, that's really, really important because when you hire someone and they do leave, I mean, I, I heard one of your guests talk about this relationship you have with an advisor is sometimes more intimate than a doctor because you are getting financially naked. So once you've built that trust, having change and turnover, and if that happens a lot, that's really disconcerting to the client. Of course, it would be disconcerting to me. I've just built trust and this person's moving on. So to your point, you have to either follow them to the next firm, which creates havoc in its own way. So understanding how the firm's retain their talent, you know, why we really, we talk about this alignment a lot. We we need to make sure there's alignment between the clients and the wealth managers and the wealth managers and the clients with the firm. Like it's just this really important triangle of trust that's built. And I'll just add that there are a lot of financial advisors who are solopreneurs. They have their own business or, or maybe they're part of an ensemble of a few partners. And I think it's really important to understand that structure because what happens if something happens to your advisor? You know, they unexpectedly die. What's where what what does that mean for you if you're a client and there's no one else in the firm to really turn to? I, I find people don't really think about that in in their due diligence process when choosing an advisor. And I think in those situations, it's important to make sure that the advisor or the, the small firm has a, a succession plan in place or some sort of contingency plan where they have a relationship with another firm who would step, step in and serve clients. Yeah, that's an important part point. And uh, 
So I went through both of those things. I had an advisor who moved from one big firm to another and I went with him and then he died within two weeks of moving to that firm. Oh, wow. And there was no succession plan in place and it was a huge mess. So thinking about these things, you think it won't happen to you, but that actually did happen to me um, years and years ago. So it's, it's something that happens. Let me turn this around, Sandy. Are there ever clients that you feel don't align with you and you won't work with or types of clients that that don't fit into your practice? There are. I think sometimes, you know, we meet folks and if personally it's not a good fit, you know, I might recommend another colleague or if they're just not a great fit for the firm for whatever reason, it's still important to me and, and to us that, that that person find a good advisor so we'll make recommendations out. But oftentimes those situations are driven by just a different approach. You know, there's some folks that don't like to delegate and they they want to micromanage and see every aspect of what's going on. And, and my style isn't like that. I, I, I educate the client. I, I let them know what's going on, but not every single step of the way. So I, I try to have my antenna up around that because I think to do a really good job for the client is important for us to have a really good relationship with each other and respect each other. And so if if there is, you know, something that, that's in the way, it could be some sort of values mismatch, then I, I'd rather them find a different advisor within our firm or outside of our firm that's going to do a really great job and be more successful working with them. Tammy, tell us a little bit about the stories of the relationship between the firm and clients maybe of the families who have grown with you or ways in which you found that you formed a community together. It's that's, that's one of the most special things about working at, at a firm like ours is that they are really, the clients are there. They are clients of the firm. They are families. We we've served multiple generations and, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is something that's well known, but firms like ours, grow organically through our clients referring in our next client. They have a friend, a colleague, a family member who are in need of having that next level type advice and they refer him. And and that is, that's the ultimate compliment, right? That you've taken such good care of them that they refer in this next future client of the organization. And that is the the most important way we grow because it's a great sign that we're doing a fabulous job. And then we have these friends of friends. We've actually in the past brought some of these groups together as a thank you, as a celebration. And and really we we have an a saying that we do life together. I mean, it's this is really an important relationship we have with our clients. We take it very seriously. We're we're part of their family, an extension of their family. And so when we do see these trees, these these client trees, it's super special. In some cases, it's beneficial if they work for the same company and we can then add value. We understand aspects of the the compensation, the equity. We can act we can really serve them to a whole new level. And that's that's important from a service standpoint. And then the gratifying aspect is is these families of these networks of clients. So Sandy, tell us about the Money Tales podcast. How did you guys decide to start the podcast and and how does it serve your community? 
we started the podcast. We started talking about the podcast before the pandemic, Jordan. Kimmy and I were interested in the the platform and we thought it would be fun to do something for Experient. We had a lot of brainstorming sessions. And while we thought we, you know, we knew we could focus on technical aspects of, of what we do, as we had further discussion with each other and with our colleagues, what we thought was really important to bring to life for listeners is that idea of having productive money conversations, modeling what it's like, creating environments where people feel comfortable talking about money so that listeners could be inspired to have more money conversations themselves. They could learn different approaches. They could understand perhaps different vocabulary and ways of easing into the conversation. So that that was the story behind Money Tales. Every day at Experience, we get to have very intimate conversations about money with our clients. Clients often tell us, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I have you. I can't talk about this with anybody else. And Money Tales is our way of saying, well, you, you can. <laughs> we can all talk about these conversations with each other. And here's how. And one of the things that Cammie and I hope that we're we're modeling through the conversations is the deep listening skills that are helpful for wealth managers to have and for anyone who's involved in a in an important money conversation to have. It's not all about the talking. It, it, a lot of it's about the listening and understanding. Well, Cami and Sandy, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. What really hits me from our conversation is how much the financial advice industry has changed back from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. As And maybe it's very similar, and I think of it similar as the doctor-patient relationship, this yeah. idea that back in the day, your doctor kind of told you what to do. They were the authority, and you listened, and there was no questions asked, and that was it. Both in medicine and certainly in financial advice, the relationship should and is trying to move to a much more collaborative, much more intimate relationship where there's a lot more give and take. And certainly as I talk to you both here, I can see how clearly that's important in the way you guys practice giving financial advice. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you guys what is up next in your life and how people can reach out to you. Cammie, let me start first with you. What is up next with the Money Tales podcast and with your firm? Jordan, the next thing, we we hope to actually take Money Tales to live events. We want to continue demonstrating this way of having money conversations and make it less uncomfortable. And we thought, what a fun next challenge is do it live, have a guest up there, have conversations. It's super powerful. And so we're looking forward to that. We we don't have our first event lined up, but we'll do that. You know, for the firm, I, continuing to, you know, methodically grow and serve our new clients. And to importantly, what's really fun for us is our, we have a, you know, next generation of colleagues coming up and learning and growing and, and through our partnership model, bringing some of them on as partners of the organization. That's really important for us, how we succeed our business. We are committed to remain permanently independent as an organization for we think that alignment with clients, you know, it's really, really important. And the only way to do that, we we don't want private equity dollars. We think it influences and impacts what we do as a business and how we serve. So we need to recruit and retain new, amazing talent. And we do that through our succession model and making them partners. So at Asperian, about a third of our folks are owner operators. 
And it's really an important part of our business and what we're really passionate about doing. And Sandy, if people want to learn more about you and ask you questions, or even at some point possibly become a client, how can they reach out to you? The best way, Jordan, is through the Experient website. You can go there and there's an area where you can start a dialogue with us. Beyond that, Cammie and I are both on LinkedIn. So please reach out to us there. We'd love to hear from you. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. I'm behalf of myself, Doc G. I'd like to thank Sandy Brager and Cammie Doder for coming on the show. Thank you, Thanks, you Jordan. Guys. Thanks, Jordan. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Awesome. I keep things running just for a few seconds while we catch the after show. Um, Sandy, if you have to drop off, go ahead. But was there a couple minutes? Was there anything I didn't ask you guys that you think was important? God, you did such an amazing job. Um, Thank you. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I felt really comfortable and felt like we could expand and appreciate your questions and the thoughtfulness of them. Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I think that what what I love about this conversation, especially the way you guys have this conversation, really is that kind of 3.0 view. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of parts of, of, of the world where we're realizing um, expertise only goes so far, but it has to be expertise plus connection. And I think we've lost, we, 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 I think in the eighties and nineties, especially we lost that a lot. <laughs> and in the two thousands, yeah. we're now trying to gain that back. It's like just being an expert isn't enough. And in fact, it doesn't necessarily serve. We definitely see it in medicine. And I think we see it in other places where you have a knowledge base to give to clients that if you also can't connect and, sh- and share some intimacy so that people can tell you who they are and what they need, um, that any kind of advice giving doesn't work as well. The parallels with medicine is really amazing. And I think about what Sandy, you talked about, you know, you go in, if you have a knee problem, it used to be you focused on the knee, let's figure it out. Now doctors are looking holistically. They're looking at diet. They're looking at all the parts, the blood system, you know, so much because realizing they all play a part. And I think about that with financial services. You can't just focus on what's the investment return or what's the product. And that used to be the conversation. You have to understand. Jordan, there's one thing that comes to mind, and I I haven't looked through your catalog to know if you've covered it before, but one of the things that really stands out to me is how many people are providing financial advice today without any training whatsoever. And just based on personal experience. And I think that's okay if you're a do-it-yourselfer, but it really makes me concerned um, for the unknowing consumer. And it makes me frustrated because (laughs) as a certified Mm -hmm. professional, we're subject to regulations and continuing education and and people who don't go down that path aren't. And and that worries me for consumers. So, And I think that's very real. You know, I started for sure, started kind of as part of the financial independence retire early movement. And there are a lot of creators out there who have no other training than they've read a bunch of books and can tell you about their own experience. And you are 100% correct. There is no one looking over our blogs or our podcasts and saying, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not accurate. Um, That's not based in truth. 
Like we don't have any of that regulation, even me as a financial blogger. Now, of course, I try to actually get experts on and then ask their opinions. Um, but there's no one looking over my shoulder saying, you know, that piece of advice you just gave isn't, you know. That's right. But you're not selling your advice to people and, no. you know, putting and, and, up. and, and a lot of people the... and a lot of people are either as coaches. There's a lot of people who are selling themselves as coaches or. You know, the truth of the matter is, you know, a lot of these blogs and podcasts are selling things, right? They're selling products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're getting revenues off of affiliates and all those kind of things. So in a sense, they really are. And that's, yeah, I think it is a problem. True. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's always buyer beware in it, which is very difficult. It's like a very, very difficult because a lot of us and I, I'm included, right? And I never sent, like you said, I never set myself out as I'm going to tell you how to invest, et cetera. But I will say I'm going to bring these experts in who are going to give opinions. And I Excellent. think we have to be really clear on that. You've done good work. 